afternoon, everyone. This is PJ Selinski from Christian Hunters of America, and this is episode number three. And today I'm joined with fellow board member Mike Ronoski. Mike, how you doing? We are doing fantastic today. It's uh, January and it's a little bit cold outside, so we love Phoenix this time of year for sure. Oh man, now through about April, May, and May's starting to get a little dicey. But yes, you're right. This is this is why we're all here. So, and you know, even on top of that, this time of year from December basically through February is just wide open hunting from archery deer, archery javelina, and you can even get into some some rifle hunting. There's some mountain lion opportunities. There's just lot, lots of great hunts. So today we thought we'd get together with Mike, who is just an absolute master hunter in general, but I think especially when it comes to javelina. So we're just going to uh, bounce a few questions by Mike about Havelina and just kind of uh, his success along the the years. And maybe Mike, just tell us a little bit about uh, this. You know, here we are in early 2021. Why don't you tell us about your 2021 Havelina archery hunt? Okay, so uh, 2021 was uh, refreshing after uh, 2022, the year that we just had. You know, as a as a worldwide, you know, app, you know the issues that we've seen, everything else. And now we're into 2021 and. The great thing about 2021 is it's it's a new year, it's new opportunities, and and kind of kind of resets everything. And that is one thing that I love about January is um, we have the January Havelina archery hunts, which is most of the month of January. Plus there's some metro units to give you the whole month. Plus you have a combination of coos deer and mule deer, um, then selective units that are open. So January is just a fantastic opportunity to get out in the field because usually the the morning's really cold and kind of warms up in the usually the 50s, 60s, and you can glass rut in. Uh, mule deer and coos deer and at the same time glass up a herd of pigs and go after the pigs and what's interesting is with all the hunting that I've done is I seem to focus on Havelina in January um, just last week on opening weekend we were out there and we glassed up a really nice tall three by three uh, looking for pigs and it's literally 150 yards in the bottom of wash and very stockable and I looked at my buddy Jack and we we're like ah, let's go find the pigs you know and we're not ready to shoot a shoot a deer and you know, any other time of the year, we'd see a deer that looks, you know, it's like a 130, 135 class mule deer. We'd be all over it. But it's interesting how javelina kind of become very addictive, and it's just a lot of fun. And the great thing about javelina is it's a community. You know, you get a couple hunters together. We can glass. We can come up with a stock, and it's it's a lot of fun. And I also like it because usually javelina are not like deer where they're early risers, so they're not even moving. From what we've seen, I've been out pretty much every day since the January 1st has started, and we're not seeing javelina typically until quarter to 9 to 9.30. It's interesting that you can get up there glass, you know the pigs are there, then all of a sudden about 8.45, 9.30, somewhere in that, all of a sudden pigs start coming up. And we've had a really successful time. We've been in pigs every day except for once. Um, we've chased pigs. We've seen probably upwards, I would say 60 pigs between the different groups and all of our hunts. And it's just a lot of fun, especially when you get newer hunters out there. So, and you're probably hunting a combination of, uh, Metro and a specific unit for Havelina right now. That is correct. So the unit, since I live here in the metropolitan area of Phoenix, um, I always pick up a, a Metro unit because it's, there's a lot of desert around the surrounding areas. Plus, we drew a Unit 20B tag, which is going to be up around Lake Pleasant, north of Lake Pleasant and west towards Wickenburg. And so what we did is opening weekend, we focused, since we had two of the tags, my buddy and I drew that, we focused on there. So uh, Friday brought um, three different herds. We glassed up a couple of missed shots. Uh, Saturday, I was able to harvest a javelina. And uh, we've been focusing on my friend Jack, and who's had 
I think he's had three shots now. It's kind of interesting. We get into him and the wind starts swirling and just the excitement, especially as a new hunter, you know, especially when it comes to archery. So, Yeah, so why don't you uh, walk us through kind of what you're doing? You know, are you getting up high and glassing into washes? Are you slowly still hunting? You know, it's been obviously really dry this year. It's been uh, not a lot of wind, so it's been very quiet. So why don't you tell us what you're doing to have success? So what we've done... And how I always hunt javelina, um, probably in the last 10 to 15 years. And I think I've harvested a archery javelina every year since 1997, I think. And they implemented uh, two javelina, you know, per calendar year, probably around, I don't remember, 2014 to 2016, somewhere in there. And I've, I've harvested two javelina every year since then. So how I find the javelina is glassing. Glassing is key. Back in my earlier days when I was much younger, I used to love to hike and just bust them up and call them back. But now I get up on these high ridges. So... The main thing for javelina is we know that wherever you're hunting, if there's javelina in the area, you're going to find them with glasses most of the time. So what we do is we find the draws and the canyons that normally these javelina are going to be bedded up under. They're going to be in the washes. They, they love washes. And what they do is they kind of feed out of the washes, feed back into the washes, and they're kind of up and down. I mean, there is times that you'll find them on a, on a big hilly side, um, but that's usually on the, the coldest days, and the sun's really shining those southeast-facing slopes. So, so what we do is we get it on a vantage point, and we just start glassing along all the, the washes, the creeks, and we just kind of focus on there. And what we find is by doing that is all of a sudden one pig will give the whole herd away. They'll kind of pop up, and then they'll, then they'll go back in the thick stuff, and they just kind of vanish. And that's exactly what's happened. So, so with pigs, the great thing is if you can find them, you can you know figure out which direction the wind is. We'll get in the wind a little bit longer and kind of circle around and get in front of them. So, but... There is times that we would go into a wash trying to spook them out, but that's very rarely anymore. Usually it's just, you know, get a good pair of binoculars, get them on a tripod, and just focus on those areas. Yeah, so let's talk about your binoculars. Tell us about your setup. Are you, you set a tripod already, so what power, you know, magnification, how is your system that you go back and forth to to look up, uh, look for the javelinas in the washes? Maybe elaborate a little bit on that for everyone. Okay, no, that's a great point. So I use the 1556 Um I went to those about two years ago after using the Cabela's Euros, and I love those. But there is something to be said with the, with the best glass because it just the clarity and what you're able to see, especially as the sun's coming up. So my technique is normally I'm finding where the pigs are. You know, it's previous years. I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. If you find pigs, you're going to find them year after year after year after year. So when I, I'm scouting new areas, I'm trying to find, locate pigs, I'm usually scouting them in March and April. And the reason why I do that, that's normally more of a rainy season. We get, it seems like we get a lot of moisture and there's not a lot of hunters out there. So usually the rifle season's end towards the end of February. They've had about a month, you know, kind of settle down. They're back to doing their routines. And after we get a rainstorm, I'll actually go out glassing and I'll look in the washers and I start looking for tracks and I start looking for sign. Because if I find where there's javelina in March, they're going to be there in January and February because that's, that's their core area. So so by doing that, I already kind of know the areas that the, the javelina like to be at. So we, we focus on those areas. So on January 1st, um, we went to our spot up in Unit 20B. And this ridge basically is uh, the highest point. And there's five or six ridge lines that kind of feed to the southeast that we're able to kind of glass up of those. So what we did the first hour till right at 9 o'clock, I always sit in the same spot, usually till 9 o'clock. And I'm glassing all, basically everything I can see. I'm just kind of glassing that. By 9 o'clock, if I'm not leaving, then I start to reposition myself, and I'll stop every three, 400 yards. And the places that I like to hunt usually have a road um, that we can kind of follow and get different perspectives. 
So on opening day, we got up there, we glassed. There was actually a couple other hunters in there that was hunting behind us. And I never allow them, you know, I never really worry about other hunters because, you know, it's one thing about hunters is we're all on the same page. And I think that's kind of a thing that we forget that, hey, these guys are just out there enjoying themselves. They want to get out and have a good time. And so we actually ended up talking to these guys and we kind of came to agreement they would go to the south and we would go to the north on that particular morning. So we saw them kind of head off. We glassed till nine, nothing. And on our third stop, we probably got maybe a half a mile down this ridge glassing. And where I was glassing the whole time from the top ridge, as I glassed back in the canyon, that different direction, here was a herd of 12 to 13 javelina down the bottom. So real quick, help me understand when you say you went a half a mile. Are you getting your vehicle because you mentioned roads and you're driving, or are you just kind of walking a couple hundred yards and then glassing again? So we're using our vehicles. Vehicles, so okay. what I found with pigs is if... Unless you plan to hike in there, a lot of times there's a lot of roads you can access to get different angles. So I always start with using our vehicles. So in this area, we're using a side-by-side, and we're just kind of glassing and going. So we call that just, we call it bump and go. So after 9 o'clock, I'm focused on the core area that I know. Then I'm basically just driving every three to 400 yards, stopping and re-glassing those same areas. But with maybe within 15 minutes, then we're moving. And so what I found, and this is consistent with... Here it is around the 12th of January, and I think we've been in that area four different days. And by this, between the second and the fourth bump and go, as we call it, we've lasted up a herd of pigs and made our approach. So by doing that, it's interesting how the the landscape changes. You can see different areas, and all of a sudden the light hits it differently, and you can see the, the javelina. But what's interesting, too, is I've tried in the past where I just try to go to those spots, those different angles at first, and I never see anything, but then I go back up to the main glassing point, and I find them. So it's... It's one of those things that's kind of a check and balance, and I just like to start high and work my way around the ridges. And if we don't see them, then we kind of backtrack back out of there. Um, the spot that we were in 20B this year, we actually glassed up three herds. So we were actually glassed the first herd that we found. I was glassing them, and time we snuck around, it was about a half a mile away. Time we got around the ridge to get over them, we saw one feed down. But then at the same time as I was glassing over the ridge that they were at, there was another herd of pigs on the backside, which was pretty interesting. But... Like one thing about pigs is they have incredible sense of smell, and it's amazing how that winds. They like to be in those bowls and down the bottom of these canyons, which some, a lot of times you have that wind in your face, and all of a sudden it starts circling. That's kind of what's happened to us on that. So, yeah. So you mentioned core area. Can you explain to everyone what you mean by the the core area of the javelina? So when I talk about a core area, I think most javelina live in a, a square mile. But this time of year, I think they live probably closer to a third to a half a square mile, and it includes two or three ridge lines normally. So of the opening day, we were there opening day, on which was a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, those three days, we found this two of the herds exactly within, I would say, 400 yards where we found them the previous days. And so when I talk about the core area is even though you may bump them and it's a new day, they're in that core area somewhere. And on the second day, we were actually driving around. I didn't realize it, but they actually heard the side-by-side coming up, and they kind of blew down the bottom of the canyon and ran up and over a ridge. So by doing that, we, we knew the escape route. So then we got off the bike, and we kind of hiked up to another point, and we were able to see them kind of circling around. So, And every time we would spook a javelina, normally they're going to do some kind of an oval shape. They're always going to backtrack and kind of come back and do a half circle back around. It may take them an hour. It may take them four hours, but they're always going to kind of circle and and kind of come back to where that, that small core area is. So the key with javelina is if you find them, just have confidence knowing that those javelina are there, and just sometimes it just takes time, and sometimes it gets frustrating. You may spend an hour, hour and a half glass in the same areas, 
and but don't give up because at some point those pigs are just going to emerge and they're they're going to showcase themselves. So you also talked about calling. So do you maybe want to give a little detail on about maybe when would be a good time to call or when is not a good time to call or any specifics on calling? So calling is it's it's one of those things where there's a lot of YouTube videos and there's a lot of great calls that call them in as it comes to a predator call. So I up till this year, I really haven't done a lot of that. So I usually use calling based on my mouth. I, I kind of get in the herd and I like to bust them up and freeze. So we're the normal calling that you would hear is there's like a gentleman down in Southern Arizona has what's called called the J13, which is I know a lot of guys use it and comes highly recommended. But basically they're throwing a, a varmint call and if they're within usually 100 yards or 200 yards, they can get those pigs up and they start running or they'll, they'll run to them and kind of charge because they're there to protect that javelina. But what I do is when I'm talking calling is sometimes if I see a herd that goes into a, a thicket, a you know, wash that's real thick and you really can't see through it, I'll actually get the, try, I'll circle around and get the wind in my face and I'll kind of go through it. Even though I can't see, I'll just woof real soft. Just real soft and all of a sudden, magically, the other pigs will start woofing. And basically, whenever that happens, what I've noticed is when pigs get alarmed or they get scared or they're looking, most hunters will get up and try to move and try to get in position or do something. And as soon as I hear that, that soft woof through in the area, I just freeze. And sometimes I may not move for 20 minutes. I'm just frozen. I'm sitting there and just kind of talking to them. And you just want to do it really soft and casual because if you come out and go, that's the alarm. So then they're all going to scatter. So... I know a lot of people make that mistake as they're trying to woof them, but that's actually the alarm sound, then they're scattering. So I'm trying to sound like a, a javelin that's on the other side of the wash, and then everything's good. I'm just... <laughs> and most of the time, those pigs will come right back. So on Saturday, the second day, we glassed up in the same area. We glassed up a herd of pigs, and we snuck on them, had the wind right, and we were about 45 yards from from my friend that was trying to get him an archery pig. And he was watching the herd down below him. So I left him and I did a half circle back around the mountain coming over the top because that's the direction they're feeding. I just was going to let him just kind of feed in by himself and get the wind. But what happened was as I got to the top of the ridge, there was actually either another herd that was merging with those pigs or it was the front end of the, the pigs because I had to do about a 350-yard hike around this little hill. But as soon as I got to the top of the hill, you know, here's this pig <laughs> because... They sensed me, they, they saw me or something, so I just froze and did the same thing and just... <laughs> then within, literally within 30 seconds frozen, I had four heavily and it kind of come across and made a good shot about 25 yards and, and that was all over. But it's interesting, if you can use those sounds, it's really good. But then you have like the J13 and some of these other varmint calls where if you can blow them, they think a, a, a younger pig is getting eaten by a coyote or a mountain lion or just being thrashed. So they're actually running, charging, and they're coming in to help protect that pig. So that's where a lot of guys have a lot of fun, become very successful. But what I have seen personally is it doesn't really work blindly if you're trying to hunt them, unless you have a rifle tag and you're just trying to blow it just to kind of get them moving so you can shoot them across the canyon. Most of the time they're not going to come running. So usually if you get into them and you bust them up and you're real quiet and then you blow it, then it becomes like an alarm because they know something's happening. So. Yeah, so I'd like to kind of take a few steps back to when you said you, you see them go into, as a, as a generalization, you see them go into a thick wash. 
You get the wind right, and you kind of just do that low sound woofing, maybe stay there for 15 to 20 minutes. And what is it that happens after that? Eventually, they're mm-hmm. going to kind of come out towards you so you can be able to shoot them. And during that whole time, 15, 20 minutes, are you doing woofing at a you know a one-minute interval, or are you just completely quiet? I'm quiet. So, for instance, on Sunday, um, we were hunting Sunday back in 20B. And I glassed up a herd of pigs, and as we got in position, the wind was swirling. They kind of ran. We, we watched them go over one ridge, go over to a second ridge. and So I'm watching them probably half a mile away, and all of a sudden, I knew the bed. And next thing you know, the, the pigs all start going under the bed, and they all start laying down up on this top of this ridge. So so we did a half circle, got all the way around. We got within 100 yards, the only angle that I could see into the bed. And in that bed, I can actually see them laying on top of each other. So this is probably 10 o'clock. They, they decided to go to bed, and they're all just laying. And if I didn't have the glasses knowing that specific tree and that specific angle, you'd never see those javelina laying under there. So I take that back to the wash where most of the time when they're in the washes, I believe they're in there laying down, and, and they're, they're not being very active because when they're coming out, that's usually when they're feeding they're, and they're going back down. So in these thick washes is where lots of their beds are. And so when, when I'm in there... And I just kind of woof. I would maybe walk 50 yards, do a real soft woof. woof, woof, woof. And I just sit there for three to five minutes, real quiet. And then I'll just take my time, be real quiet as I can, get another 50 yards, 75 yards, and just kind of do the same thing. Because if they're in there, they're going to respond back to you. And that's a natural thing. It's not just like somebody in there just making all kinds of noise and sound uncharacteristic. It's Pigs don't do that. They're, they'll woof a little bit, and they kind of move on, and then they kind of feed them. It's just a social thing where they're maybe saying, "Hey, I'm over here. You're meant, you're you're calling or, or soft wolfing, and you're telling them I'm over here, 50 yards away this way, and then you at least have a idea of where they're actually located." Correct. So, because if I hear that wolf, then I know we have javelina in that area. Then at that point, I'll try to figure out exactly what happens. So, okay, so. great, thank you. So, why don't we talk about beds? You mentioned you saw an afternoon bed where they were piled up on one another. So just kind of your experiences with uh, beds, probably daytime beds, uh, evening, nighttime beds type of a thing. So the beds, um, what I've seen is the beds are always around their food source. What they'd like to do is if there's a great food source, like a barrel cactus that they've been chewing on, or there's a bunch of prickly pear, they're going to bed close to that feeding source. And that's exactly what happened on Sunday is they went right back by a barrel cactus that they've been eating and Two of the pigs stopped in the barrel cactus, and the rest of the pigs went into the bed and lay down. So, so normally when I find beds, that tells me that's their that's their core core area, that's their feeding area, and that's where they like to be. Then, if you start looking and really dissecting underneath those big mesquite trees down the washes, you're going to start finding multiple beds, lots and lots of beds. So, so in the time that um, on Sunday there was, we found two, but after we that herd kind of left, I found I think five different beds within that 200 square yard area. So the key is, is if you know where they're, where they're going to go, where they like to be, then you just kind of focus on that. So in that spot, we actually glassed up. That was the third uh, herd of pigs that we glassed up, which was like at 2 o'clock on opening day. And we had to look across this big wash, and it was probably three-quarters of a mile, and there's a, a cut in there. But we have found those pigs. Every time we've got up on that point, if I sit there, I'll find those pigs. They'll come walking through there. And I think we have found those pigs within 200 yards of that same core area four different times since the first and it's just that's part of the circling they, they really like that core area and that's where they go to bed at night in the mornings and midday so yeah so once you get that core area you generally should stick it out there 
hang out, get different angles, maybe you know move a couple hundred yards or 50 yards and just keep glassing and glassing and eventually those things are gonna, gonna show up. That is correct, yes. Yeah, so you mentioned food. Maybe we could go into a little bit of detail about some of the food that Havelina like to, to eat. So you mentioned barrel cactus, which I, I think is kind of interesting because when you think of a barrel cactus, you know, 12 inches, 18 inches, 24 inches tall, uh, sometimes a little bit taller, but obviously vertical. So are these barrel cactus uh, knocked over by the javelina or by, by something that knocks them over? Or how are they eating barrel cactus? And then maybe any other type of uh, food source. Uh, you mentioned prickly pear, I'm sure probably uh, roots and rooting. So why don't you tell us a little bit about food? So in 20B, where we like to hunt, there's lots and lots of donkeys, unfortunately. They're an invasive species that are federally protected, but I believe those donkeys are always knocking over barrel cactuses because you can, I've watched them walk up and they knock them over, and barrel cactuses have a very small root, and they're easy to fall over. So once they fall over, that's when you start seeing the, the javelina on the top end or the side start eating them up. So whenever I find a barrel cactus that's soft and I can actually put my finger in there and it feels moist, I know that those pigs will be back there within usually within a day or two days. And it's very consistent. So then it's just trying to figure out, is it a morning spot, an afternoon, or an af- you know midday spot? But once I find that barrel cactus, I'll actually stop hunting for a little while, and I'll, I'll start grid searching, looking for beds close by there. I'll go in the washes. I'm looking for tracks. I'm looking basically where are they kind of feeding to and where are they coming and going. And what you'll start to see is you'll start to see trails leading to their different areas. <clears throat> so those, those food sources... Just to reiterate that, those food sources to the bedding sources are sometimes within 10, 20 yards. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely, mm-hmm. they're very close. I mean, it's, it's incredible how close they just want to go eat and then go lay down. And you can also, sometimes you'll see them eating. All of a sudden, you know there's more pigs, and all of a sudden, one pig will leave. Another pig will come in, you think it's the same pig. But what's happened is that one pig is leaving. It's going laying down in their bed, and another pig is getting up taking their place. Because it always seems like there's always one or two pigs of a herd that will always be out kind of looking, feeding, that gives away the rest of the herd. So so just know if you glass up one pig, more than likely, the herd's going to be laying somewhere close by. And it's usually within 50 yards. Okay, and how about other food sources? So prickly pear, they love prickly pear, especially right now with the drought. So I think that's why they're hitting these barrel cactuses, and there's a lot of prickly pear. They're shredding because that's all moisture, and it's green, and it's a lot of fiber form. And this time of year with the, the javelina, with it being cold, they are very thin-skinned. So they always have to be eating because that's part of their metabolism. You know, so they're always eating. They're always up eating. They love the mesquite beans. So if you get into the mesquite beans, and they have, and those are all in the, the washes. They love that. And you kind of hit on some of the rooting and all the forbs and grasses. I do know on a normal season where we get these winter rains, you'll actually start seeing grass patches everywhere in the desert. So if you start seeing those grass patches come up, those pigs love those grass patches. I've watched tons and tons of pigs hit a small grass patch, and they just start mowing it down, almost like a lawnmower. <clears throat> yeah, I've seen the same thing. It's pretty uh, pretty interesting. They just go to town with that grass when it's there. Yep, and so the other thing is once you find the pigs, normally you can get within 100 yards fairly easy. Normally it's not an issue. But the key is is wind is so essential. I mean, God gave them the sense of smell and understanding that's truly incredible. I mean, there's always the stories. I, I've been around pigs that, you know, that seemed like they're the, the dumbest animal in the world. And there's other times, I mean, I think they're more smarter than a, than a coos deer based on that smell. And that's kind of what we witnessed. So just know that once you find the pigs and you're making your stock, wind is 100%. If, if the wind isn't right, you might as well just pack up and leave because if you get within, what I found is if you get in that 100 to 120 yard range and the wind is blowing at your back, all of a sudden all those pigs will vanish and you're going to be like, where did they all go? 
they just they know. I mean, it's it's truly incredible. We witnessed that again on Sunday. We're coming over and we knew they were in that saddle, and all of a sudden we come around. And all of a sudden we felt that wind hit us in the back, and literally by the time I felt it, I'm looking up at the hill and 75 yards from where they were laying down, I could see them going over a little knoll and single file line gone just from that little bit of smell. And I think that's where sometimes when you're trying to find them in these thick washes and you're still hunting, if your wind is not right and you can't see, you know, through the thick stuff and everything else, you never have a chance. Those pigs are just going to smell you and they're going to just do their thing. Yeah, so how about we talk about maybe for the final little segment here in regards to once you close that distance to let's say 40 to 20 yards, how about uh, executing the shot? And obviously we're talking right now specifically about archery shot, but, you know, is there, uh, is it typical tight behind the shoulder? Is it, um, you know, you can basically, they're so small, you can pretty much shoot them anywhere. What, what's your thoughts on, on kind of executing the shot? Yeah, so pigs, I think pound for pound, they're one of the toughest animals. I mean, I have seen pigs get hit and it's like, I have no idea how that pig is even doing what it's doing. So just like any big game animal, what you want to do is you want to follow that front leg up and you want to hit that bottom third, you know, kind of low in the shoulder. And if you can pin that that arrow or that bullet right through the front shoulder, so if you follow that front shoulder up and get about a third of the way up, that's perfect. Or if they step out and you can see right behind there, their front shoulder, you want that clean ethical kill. So you mentioned the bottom third. So, you know, Havelina have that hair almost like a ridge back on the top of them that they like to puff up to make them look a little bigger. So it, does that kind of become a little deceiving when it comes to shooting them? I think a lot of people do get deceived because when they're scared and their hair's up, it makes them look a lot bigger. So that's where you always want to focus on the bottom side. Their hair does not does not stand up on the bottom side. So you just want to see where you can see the daylight underneath that bottom front shoulder and just kind of come up a third of the way, and that's where you want to place that, that shot. Perfect. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap this up? The last thing is, is with pigs is it's a very social time. So it's one of those ones you can get two or three buddies, go out there, hang out, glass, and then kind of come up with a game plan once you find them. But just know that, you know, sometimes they are super, super easy. And other times, man, they are the hardest animal to get on because it seems like they're, they're a herd animal and their sense of smell and, and direction. They, they just they know how to make the right moves. But then there's other times you're going to walk up and the javelina is going to run right at you and they're going to woof and they're going to look at you five yards and be like, what the heck just happened? But just know that those are the exceptions, not the rules. I think sometimes they get a bad rap. But they're also very, you know, they're, they're a great animal to hunt as a group and gives a lot of opportunity. And the great thing about our Arizona Game Fish Department is you allow this hunt in January and February when they're very active. You can see them because if you start getting back in April, May, when it starts getting hot through October... Very rarely do you glass up javelina because they become nocturnal. So just get out there, enjoy it. You know, the other great thing about javelina is they are pretty good eating. So, I mean, it's like anything else. If you harvest something, you know, keep keep the meat clean, get it cooled, you know, get that skin off, get it on ice. And it actually is pretty good, pretty good eating. Yeah, so why don't you, a little bonus, tell everybody what you do with your javelina because it is just lights out. So with javelina, there's three things I do with it. Um, I make either a summer sausage. I do a jalapeno summer sausage I love doing. In fact, I, we shot a bear this year, and we, we did that. And I, I love the homemade jalapeno sausage. We do jerky with it. And then I also make a green, a green chili and a red chili. It's fantastic. So, again, find what, what you like, you know, and cook it up just like you do a normal meat because it is really good. But what you don't want to do, which I've ran into other hunters, is they, they shoot a javelina. They carry the whole thing. They gut it. They carry the whole thing out to their truck. You know, it's been an hour, two hours, and we pull up next to them in their truck, and there's a javelina with this full skin on it. It's The sun's baking on it, and it's basically spoiling, you know. So what we do is when we harvest a javelina, 
like the one I just shot, is I basically do the gutless method right out in the field. I have, I have these little gunny sacks I carry. And when I leave that spot where I shot it, basically all the meat's to bone, it's cut up. Um, I, the, the, I, I enjoy the skulls of it, so then I cut all the, basically take the head and skin it out for a skull and put that in my backpack and I carry it everything out. And unless you know that javelin's in my backpack, you never even know I shot one. So then as soon as I get back, then I, all that goes in the ice chest on ice and the, the meat's fantastic, so. Yeah, great, great advice to, to make sure you get that uh, meat off of the skin so you can qu- cool it quickly and then, and then get it in a cooler exactly. So thank you, Mike, for all this great information. Yep, and we'll, we'll expand some more on it. So we'll be getting a lot of feedback, and we'll kind of even dissect even more. So this is kind of a big picture of how to get out there and do some looking for javelina. So. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Christian Hunters of America podcast. If you have any prayer requests or you require any information, please look us up on christianhuntersofamerica.org or you can reach us on Facebook or Instagram under Christian Hunters of America.